this is Imagination Taking Power, a podcast where I share with you conversations, insights and aha moments on my journey towards writing a book about imagination. If you spend any time reading about the connection between imagination and education, one name comes up repeatedly. Kieran Egan has been writing about how to make education more imaginative since the 1980s and has written many books on the subject. Born in Ireland, he studied in London before moving to the US and then to Canada, where, as he puts it, I got a job at Simon Fraser University in Canada, which has been the only job I've ever had. In recent years, he's worked closely with Gillian Judson, who we also spoke to in a previous post, through the Imaginative Education Research Group. He is now retired, and in case you're wondering, the sound of running water in the background of this recording is not an indicator that Kieran was speaking to us from his bathtub, rather that he keeps a fish tank next to his desk. So, I started out by asking Kieran what, for him, is imagination, and why does it matter? Well, I suppose, I mean, I was interested in education, and um, when I came to North America in particular and started studying education, um, I found that... um, there were lots of people interested in, and they call themselves philosophers, I guess, philosophers of education, typically interested in the curriculum and its contents and justifications and all that kind of thing. And then there are a whole other bunch of people called psychologists of education who are interested in instruction and methods of learning and teaching and all this kind of stuff. And this, this is a simplification, needless to say. Um, and what uh, what seemed to me, and indeed I was you know, introduced to courses when at Stanford in curriculum and instruction, as though these are separate things, you know, that you we divided the world up in this way. Um, and what they all seemed to be a little short on was the dynamic of the process, you know, what drove, drove this educational process forward. And that led me to an interest in imagination. What is imagination? I suppose the neatest short definition I've read was... Um, Oh, right. What's his first name? He wrote The Language of Imagination. Um, but he just talked about it as the ability to think about the possible. And I think if we can't think about things that are other than they are, then we're rather stymied. So I think imagination is clearly one of the the features of our minds that enable us to do things that are different from the way things have necessarily been done in the past or make us feel that we're not constrained by the past or constrained by current conditions. And it's not, and people who are particularly good and flexible in thinking about what is possible are the people who always drive um, developments, processes, improvements in the world. So it seemed to me, and also I thought that, you know, looking at education, the the content of the curriculum doesn't actually, by itself, uh, satisfy one. You know. As Whitehead put it, I think um, the well-informed person is not the um, is one of the greatest bores on God's earth. Um, and, and similarly, you know, somebody who is psychologically a la Piaget or whatever developed <clears throat> doesn't guarantee you anything in an educational sense. And I, so I was interested in that missing something, which seems to me the dynamic, which is the development of the imagination that brings those two to life. So without an imagination, the content of the curriculum is inert, very largely. And without the imagination, which doesn't seem to develop in the same way that people claim there is some kind of psychological development, mental process going on within us, um, 
again, we're missing a crucial feature. So that's why I guess I was interested, and that's what I think it, you know, roughly the space it takes in our mm. romantic universe. Sorry, in our what universe? Semantic. Semantic. I mean, yeah. you know, the you cut out semantic, there for yeah. a second. That was right. Um, so uh, uh, I read things. I think it was things you wrote in the eighties or the nineties where you warned about what you called neoconservative education and right. a warning yeah. that we were moving towards an approach to learning that would strangle the imagination. I wonder to what extent you feel now in 2017 those warnings were vindicated. Oh, I have no idea. Um, I didn't know I talked about neoconservative education, um, but maybe. Um, but I mean, I think there's nothing particularly um, novel about pointing out that learning lots and lots of stuff by itself is not going to give you any particular goodies. It means you're well-informed about something. It may mean you can do something, some job well, you're well-trained. But I think that distinction between training and education is a, a long-established one. What people have not been particularly good at <clears throat> is identifying what that other thing is, that um, what, what distinguishes the two. <clears throat> and I think that's at least one of the things that we've been trying to do with our imaginative education research group is to show not just that this thing has to do with the imagination and try to elaborate what we mean by that, but also to show how you can do it in everyday classrooms. So I guess that's mainly been the kind of work that I've been engaged with. Um, and I, I now realize I forgot what the question was. <laughs> so I guess the question was whether you feel that over the time that you've been working on this, whether things oh, have moved forward or whether things have moved backwards? No, I don't think. I think they just move sideways. You know, they, um, there is, you know, there's always grounds for hope. And one always looks for... Um, Recognitions that um, that the the old dispensation, as it were, the the assumption that either of you uh, ensure that children learn the basics and learn lots of content, uh, or on the other hand, that they become explorers and all the rest of it, um, and uh, uh, learn how to learn all this jargon. Um, as long as that jargon holds and people believe it, it seems to me we're going nowhere because it's all just such rubbish. And everybody knows it. Um, it's just that they don't know what to do as an alternative is the trouble. And this is why we have been trying to promote the idea of the imagination as a crucial and largely neglected feature of education that will make the content of the curriculum exciting and meaningful. The world is full of wonder, and the curriculum is the great encyclopedia of the world. And what we need to do is bring out that sense of wonder for children. And we have been singularly inept at doing that because people get involved in either the content itself and beating it into children so they can pass tests and then forget it, or alternatively that they become skilled learners as though they're, you know, they're just instruments waiting to learn appropriate things as though somehow that's going to happen magically. And as though learning is somehow separate from the thing you learn. I mean, there is a sense in which when you get to know the education world and the way it functions, you have to realize that the lunatics are in charge of the asylum. Or at least there's something crazy about uh, a system that seems unable to recognize its fundamental problem. And the fact that there are elephants in the room and everybody tiptoes around them. And I, that means that 
um, that you know continue to have a veering from one form of not lunacy but you know, daftness, theoretically at least in education, to the other. And not a lot of recognition that, um, that, that the elephants need to be attended to. And we need to recognize that just either promoting um, what, what are generally called progressivist ideas or traditionalist ideas is just not going anywhere. And, and people get terribly excited in education every few years because in North America particularly, the progressivist ideas have generally won, um, so that anybody who comes along and seems to offer a new um, help to that ideology is treated, you know, as a great genius, like Piaget was for a while, until, you know, the test that suggests, anyway, we don't need to go into looking at crude things like empirical results, but um, there is no, no evidence at all to suggest that um, any of this is helping education at all. So, um, I wouldn't say I wouldn't say things have got worse. Or in particular, they they just slide sideways into a, and slide between. I guess those two kinds of poles, as though there is no way of getting transcending them. And I guess that's what we've been trying to promote. I wonder if you had any thoughts on uh, how you might. Um assess the state of health of our of imagination in our culture uh, in 2018 more generally collectively uh, how strong is that imagination muscle would you say in us these days <laughs> about the same as it ever was i would suspect I mean, some people are imaginative but i'm not sure and there are some one does see um well, spasms of interest by or the powers that be, the people who wield money and can affect cultural change um, uh, for arts projects of various kinds, not the imagination tied up with the arts, but also they promote creativity, as it were, in the sciences. They, they give money for fundamental research rather than just applying. So there are constant moments of hope of those kinds of things, but at the same time it goes hand in hand with, you know, exactly the opposite being done, that universities are being increasingly constrained from teaching anything that doesn't have a vocational implication, and even people's research is measured for, for impact. God knows what Socrates would have done about all that, but anyway. Yeah. And um, uh, so one of, the, one of the, 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 the strands I mentioned at the beginning that, that, um, that, that interests me is around particularly around activism in terms of climate change and you know mm -hmm. fundamentally it feels like uh, uh, in order to be successful campaigning around climate change needs to be able to enable uh, people to imagine something other than business as usual because business as usual is going to drive us off a cliff and is doing so very effectively mm -hmm. and so that that ability to imagine something else I wonder if you have any insights from your from your work uh, over the years about good tools for particularly working with communities or groups to uh, awaken their imagination to invite their imagination and to get them to imagine something else uh, I'd like to be able to say yes but, but no um, I, I think uh, you talked to Gillian and the teachers about the 
the tools, the toolkits that we have, you know, been promoting to teachers, you know, these um, various things that are fairly central to our imaginations of working effectively. And I would think they're the same things, you know, I would just repeat all that kind of stuff, that if you get people to think about the world in, in these kinds of terms, recognize that their emotions are crucial for the ways they make sense, in which they organize things into story structures as uh, a crucial tool for communicating and, of course, persuading. Um, so if you wanted to get effective um, uh, uh, promotion of a set of ideas, then they are an ideal set of tools to, to use. And I, I guess people won't remember maybe from past your past podcasts, but the set that um, they could find on the imaginative education research Groups, websites are um, that we have focused almost entirely, not entirely actually, but largely on their uses in schools. They're usable in all kinds of contexts where one wants to get people's imaginations generated about some particular topic. And um, uh, so, some of the people that we interviewed, uh, you know, I spoke to there's a guy in India who I interviewed called Manish. Uh, who has a whole movement in India of what they call unschooling, uh, oh, yeah. which is about people looking at. Kind of, he, he says, you know, that basically the the uh, the role of education is is to destroy, like certainly in the Indian context, is is to destroy the imagination. Is his kind of take on it, you know? Is and there are obviously people who who do homeschooling or different education models entirely. Is is the current mainstream educational paradigm redeemable from an imagination perspective do you think or are people right just to kind of opt out and go and do something else no well i think it's redeemable and i think it's not it's not all that catastrophic and no the trouble with our, our generalizations is that we, we tend to ride them far too hard um and i've been into some wonderful schools um and seeing fantastic teachers and kids who are charged up in all kinds of ways that are one can't but admire. So I don't think it's not redeemable. There are ways in which I did write a book called The Future of Education, which was an attempt to try to suggest ways in which we could make some significant changes to our current forms of schooling. But I think the idea of de-schooling or unschooling or, um, is, well, I shouldn't say it so crudely, but is in often a response to simply misidentifying the problem, misidentifying the villain that you want to um, blame. A lot of people blame schools for killing kids' imaginations because they talk about them starting school at five full of energy and wanting to know this and that and asking questions, and then by the time they're nine or ten, they don't, you know, I think, ah, give it a break. I mean, there's a sense in which evolutionarily, we're designed like that, you know, once you've learned a whole bunch of stuff, then you, 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 your, your focus changes. And we talk about it as a shift from a mythic to a romantic way of thinking. What you need to do is not simply despair and uh, tear your hair out, if you have any, yes, I don't, um, but, uh, but to think of what, you know, one way of engaging kids' imaginations has worked very well for younger kids, we need to make a transition, recognize the ways in which uh, slightly older kids' imaginations are engaged, 
And so when we talk about the shift in the toolkit from the mythic toolkit with story structures and binding up with some of those things to a romantic one with the heroic, the associations with the heroic um, and a whole bunch of other tools. So there's a, there's a change which seems to me to be culturally driven very largely, historically culturally driven, that we just need to be sensitive to rather than simply despair and throw the baby out with the bathwater uh, to use another approach. There's a lot of talk and uh, uh, writing at the moment about the impact that uh, things like smartphones and social media are, are having particularly on attention and concentration and young people's ability, well, and uh, people of every age, but, but in this context, uh, young people's ability to to focus and concentrate, that presumably wasn't something that was, uh, that was a concern when you started writing. To, to, to what extent do you think those technologies have altered uh, some of the challenges that education faces? Probably not at all, actually. Um, ironically, you say that it wasn't... <laughs> If you, if you read from the beginning of public schooling in the 19th century, you'll find exactly the same complaint about children. And they don't concentrate, they don't work, they're distracted by comics, it used to be, then television. It's just loony. And what they're basically saying is that children seem to have no attention span when they're bored out of their minds. You know, why would anybody ever? I mean, it's, it's ludicrous. If you bore children, of course they're bored and they, they would turn to anything that is not so boring. So all you need to do is make school less boring. No, that's a simple answer. And life in general less boring, presumably. Yes, indeed. And, and the idea that somehow it's technology to blame or something else to blame. It used to be comic. Comics with a great... You probably have no idea how comics were seen to, seem to be the destruction of children's minds. And, uh, and teachers and you know, teacher groups fighting endlessly and politicians. I mean, it's just, the, it's just the same. People who have no simple ability to think clearly about what the actual causes are of the problems that they're identifying and just pick on the first simplest thing that comes to mind. And I just think it's, well, stupid is perhaps too strong a word, but there's an awful lot of it around. So my last, my last question was... Um, uh, if you, uh, what strategies you have in yourself for keeping your imagination vibrant over the years? If, if you have anything to, that's useful to share from your own experience. I'm not I'm sure, sure my, my imagination's, imagination's been vibrant, vibrant or functioning <laughs> well at all. So, so I wouldn't, no, no, I can't, I can't think, think of anything. anything. I mean, I, I don't, don't do anything. anything. I, I, I suspect, suspect somehow, somehow some, some people. people because of their experience, are, are driven to be a bit more, well, I'm used to say bullshit about the world that they inherit. And they can disguise in various ways um, how that bullshitness is going to appear and, and, the, and the arena in which one will make it uh, active. Um, so some people are very bullshit. You know, if you think of T.S. Eliot, you know, dressed in somebody describing his four-piece suits, um, but he was very bullshit when it came to literature and how you could remake while at the same time going around as this tight-ass, stuffed-up banker. Um, and, and lots of people who have 
uh, a very real interest in changing and rethinking the world around them and not accepting what is given to them as the conventional ways of making sense of things. Um, just, just a, often are just lucky that they've met people who encourage that way of thinking in, in the school world, as, you know, having met some teachers who are superb. Um, I remember our, our youngest son came home from school one day and said, uh, or the next day he was going to school, it's all good, it's, it's a level three conversations today. And we said, what are level three conversations? And this particular teacher said, uh, apparently had this um, role, he said there are three kinds of conversations. One is just stating facts. Uh, another one is um, dealing with um, movements or ideas or describing things in the world around you. And the third is a world of ideas. And he would have deliberate conversations at these different levels with the children. And the degree of stimulus that had for the kids in his care is astonishing. And you could see, so it doesn't take a lot. It just takes somebody, again, to recognize what the problem is, rather than just jump on the, the easiest thing to hand um, and simply not think and not use their imaginations about what the problems really are. So nothing in my experience. I was just lucky having some teachers. I forgot the question. There's a question I've asked every single person that I've interviewed that you might have seen in the one I did with Gillian, which was, if you had been elected as the President of Canada, Prime Minister, it's Prime Minister, isn't it? And you had run on a Make Canada Imaginative Again platform where you thought actually, fundamentally, what we need to be doing is to putting imagination in the centre of political life and education and policy making and across the board. I wonder what, what might you do in your first 100 days? What policies, what things might you introduce in your first 100 days? And this, this question is based on the ludicrous assumption that I would have got elected on such a platform. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, this, is, this is a leap of the imagination we're asking for here. Okay, no, that's a leap out of logic, I'd have thought, but that's another, another issue entirely. Well, um, as, as you see south of the border of you, they keep, you know, the, bars, the bar is set pretty low. That's you never know what can happen, that's true. Um, I have no idea. Actually, I, I met uh, um, Justin Trudeau. Trudeau was um, a teacher at a local school in which our children were pupils. Uh, now, no, I shouldn't say anything about what kind of teacher he was. Um, but, but I, uh, so that there is a connection with um, uh, a prime minister who might, you would think, maybe be more imaginative or promote imagination, which I think he tries to do, but I don't think, obviously, uh, the mechanisms are in place in the political culture of uh, almost any country at the moment to allow um, significant actions to take place. And I don't, you know, I should also say, I have no idea of what I would do as a politician. I would have some ideas of what I would do if I was the Minister of Education. Uh, and, but, and indeed, I, that's what I've been writing about. If any ministers of education would like to read the books, is a good blueprint from what they might sensibly go about doing. And some, some might, we've had some successes in that kind of regard.